It's time for another bisexual brunch with Lewis Oakley, Nikki Hodgson, and Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So another bisexual brunch delayed a little bit this time. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, But we've all been sick. Um, I've had some tummy troubles. Um, Lewis, what's been up with you? I just had like a proper, a just standard cold, just sneezing and coughing. Um, no COVID. I'm still two years into this and You still no not COVID. have COVID? No. Yeah. Well, apparently, like, if you haven't had COVID by this point, you've got like some special DNA that just like attacks viruses. So we'll see. Or a super attractive, depending on which science you like to look at. <laughs> or maybe you were, pa- maybe you were patient zero. Maybe that's what you are. Maybe. You <laughs> Maybe. Are. What about you, Nikki? Yeah, Lewis. What was I doing in December 2019? <laughs> I was in Manchester back then. That's how long ago that was. What about you, Nikki? You've been sniffling as well. I've been sniffling. Uh, I have a thyroid problem apparently now, which means that that explains why I'm knackered all the time. It's not me just being lazy, <laughs> which is amazing because I thought I was just getting old, but apparently not. Well, I, I had, I had an eye, I had an iron problem, and I'd start having iron tablets and things. I had a bit of anemia, kind of thing. So that that explained why I was starting to feel a bit tired quite a bit. But even still, I just think, to be honest, I think when you get to a certain age, from being honest, you, well, that's why I just thought I was like, oh, it's just being old and knackered. You, you do need, a, you, you do need a nap in the afternoon sometimes. I do need a nap in the afternoon. <laughs> do you feel better now, Ash? Though now a, that you're on the iron tablet, a little tablet? bit, a little bit. But I take quite a lot of different tablets that affect my different, you know, it affect me anyway and are likely to cause some kind of anemia. So, and the problem with taking um, iron tablets is that they have other side effects, you know what I mean? So it's not, yeah. they're not the best, you know what I mean? So Yeah, and it, I'm, I'm counting down until I'm 80 with 100 tablets to take every morning. It's happening. It's on its way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, we'll, we'll, we, we will start sounding like we're of a certain age just talking about our ailments if we carry we on. Can't, we can't do that. Sorry, listeners. Sorry, listeners. Terrible way to start the podcast. We're all fine now. That's important. We're all fine. We're all fine. So um, this episode of a Bisexual Brunch, we're going to be hopefully as candid as we possibly can be about bi-porn in a few minutes' time. We're going to be discussing that. And we're also going to be hearing from Murray Head, who's an actor who goes back a long way. Lots and lots of um, things connected to Murray Head, including ABBA, including... He's done all sorts of things. But the main thing we're going to talk about with Murray Head is that 50 years ago... He played an iconic bisexual character, basically the bi-love interest, alongside Glenda Jackson and Peter Finch in Sunday Bloody Sunday in 1971. We were hearing from Murray and his thoughts on that character, which at the time was groundbreaking. And to be fair, hasn't really been touched since, not on the same kind of scale. Um, We've had bisexual films and things, but not in the same way, not not as directly. And of course, that came out only a few years after... 
in Britain, um, sex between men, homosexual sex between men, had been decriminalised for certain certain people. So we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. We've got our bisexual journey story, and of course we've got um, we'll be putting another um, uh, ask a bisexual question to the three of us uh, a little bit later on as well. But um, and yeah, and in a moment, in a few moments' time, we're going to be talking about candidly about bisexual porn. But before we do, just a few other things that have been going on. We were talking last time about. Uh, people having a go at bisexuals for lots of different reasons, appropriating different things and standing in the way of certain areas and sort of claiming queer space and all sorts of different things. And I gather, Lewis, there's been a little bit of a, another Twitter storm on something similar to this. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. So now whenever my friends see like there's a bisexual Twitter storm going on, they send it to me as though I'm going to get involved in a Twitter storm. I literally didn't even like or say anything. I just observed. But yeah, I think there was this woman. I don't know who she is. She didn't seem very popular. Um, although this tweet got very engaged with. And it was just basically... they. I think that what they were basically saying was that um, we should have made it clear from the beginning, or the overlords, as they called it, should have made it clear from the beginning that um, the LGBT movement only really extends to bisexuals that end up in same-sex relationships. And if you're a bisexual that ends up in an opposite-sex relationship, then you're sort of cast out to see and not part of the movement, which, of course, is just ridiculous. I mean, this is why we should just ban Twitter altogether because of stupid things that come up like this. But, I mean, it raises a point that's valid because I think probably there are a lot of people in the LGBT movement that think that actually... You're bisexual, so you say, but, you know, you're married with kids, you know, how much does this even really affect you? Which is the topic of an article I'm writing at the moment, so I don't want to give too much away. But of course, <laughs> I, think, I, mean, I think there's a couple of things here, right? I mean, do you want me to kick this over to someone and come back? No, I don't no, know. God, carry I'm on, never usually on. the I'm never usually the kick over person. You carry on. You, you usually start it off and then kick it over, right? You carry I'll on. tell you what I think. Here's what I think. Um... I do think that we need to get away from this whole, oh, well, you know, certain areas of the LGBT really suffer and you don't really suffer enough. So you just need to be quiet because, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, oh, well, if it's always about someone else, then why the hell am I even bothering being part of this? But actually, I do think, you know, there are there are unique struggles that people that are bisexual like myself in opposite sex relationships face, you know, um, not to give too much away of my article, but um <laughs> You know, what? for example, um, a gay man that's in a relationship with another gay man does not feel guilty that his other half receives homophobia as a result of dating him. You know, it's like, well, no, my other half is gay. That's why he's receiving homophobia, which is obviously wrong. But I've definitely been in that situation where it's like, oh, my God, um, you know, my, um, you know, my straight fiance, you know, is receiving like discrimination, being told horrible things like I'm going to cheat, I'm going to give her HIV and all this stuff. Um and actually, she's receiving discrimination that she wouldn't have got if she was dating a straight guy. So I've had stuff like that. Like, it's not all plain sailing. Even with the kids and stuff now, obviously, I'm just kids falling out of, like, everywhere. Um, I did feel weird about being open about being bisexual because of my um, my stepson, Jamie. Because I was like, well, if this gets mentioned at school, if anyone discovers it, that, like, I keep talking about bisexuality are they going to use that to bully him? And it's this horrible thing where if I were a man in a relationship with another man, there would be no hiding. But I think this is the reason why bisexual has been held back so much. This is an insinuation of like, well, you could just blend in. You could just say nothing. Mm. You could just shut the hell up. 
and stop talking about your sexuality and focus on your kids, which I think largely is what bisexuals have been doing, but it's not helped us, has it? We're still doing worse in pretty much every way you measure success, whether that's employment, wages, health, mental health, you know, being okay with ourselves, being taken seriously, the LGBT community. We come out worse for all of that stuff for a reason. I think that part of it is to do with this insinuation of like, well, how much does it really affect you? Why don't you just shut up now that you're in a same-sex relationship? Um, It's hugely damaging, I think. Yeah, and also the gay side of things. You know, gay people, to an extent now have got a degree of acceptance around their relationships. Not o- not overly, not, not you know, it's not, we're not 100% there when it comes to equality, but there is an acceptance. You know, you see gay couples with kids and that's accepted. And, you know, people talk about husbands and husbands, and wives and wives and all this kind of thing. And it's it's seen as, as, as mainstream and it's not a big deal. And so there's that sort of, there's a sort of acceptance in terms of, you know, on the, I suppose it, it's, I hate to say this, but it is, in a way, it feels like you're aping the straight world, but everyone seems to like that because it's like, oh, well, we can just get on with that. But, you know, we, we're, we're bisexual, as bisexuals, we're quite annoying, really, or even pansexuals are annoying because we're, we're carrying on talking about our sexuality and our sex, se- you know, se- sexual pro- proclivities and all the rest of it. And it's like, well, why, you know, what, we've moved on. Why do we, why do we want to do that? You know, it's sort of, it's people find it find it irritating and so now we've got it from both sides well we've always had it from both sides but we've got it more and more so from both sides because there's more acceptance of the of the gay side you know generally in, in society is that am i am i right nikki is that generally the truth do you think i suppose it depends on who you ask but yeah it feels like like we always say it feels like we've gone past the point of the revolution needed for the buys. And so as a result of that, we're having to be more kind of provocative almost to get noticed. And I don't think that's deliberate. Uh, what I mean what I mean by that is I don't think most people go out saying I'm a bisexual, apart from Lewis Oakley who's got a T-shirt proclaiming it. But, mm-hmm. you know, but it, in order to get people to understand why you're different and how, you have to make a point of talking about it. And then that's interpreted as showing off or making a big deal or whatever. But if they tell you about their passion for, uh, you know, classic cars and how they're at car shows every weekend and painting them and getting all the special parts for them you wouldn't say that they were showing off about it you just say they were telling you about what's important to them mm-hmm. can so I, I can I come back on that right yeah. so I literally I was talking about this with Laura the other day and I was like I really want to put that into my article but because I think it's a good point but I was like I feel I feel like people would take it the wrong way but I was saying like imagine how much people are like Oh, why do you have to bang on about your bisexuality? We don't care who you sleep with. Sexuality, sexuality, shut up. Um, How much people go on about the football clubs? And I was like, should I start explaining it to people? It's like, it's as if you were a Man United um, fan and I kept, kept calling you a Man City fan. Because people have lost their lives over that. Like, people have gone to war over things like that. And I'm like, I don't know if that's such a bad example because obviously sexuality is so much more different from... Um, like a football club you support but I feel like especially maybe being British it's like but that would cause such arguments if you weren't allowed to support your football team or if you weren't allowed to tell people like the football you would feel like why like why is this so wrong I think that's actually a really good example Lewis because think about if you're a Millwall supporter or you're a York York City versus Scarborough supporter if you've ever gone to see York York play, which I have done back in the day, uh, 
they just shout every team Scarborough in disguise because Scarborough is like the hated team. But the, you know, the kind of like level of, the level of commitment to that identity and the importance of being that and being able to share that, you can't overstate it. And I think there's loads of people in Britain who live and breathe football and their their club that they support is their identity. And if you were to take that away from them, they would have a proper kind of questioning of their identity, an identity crisis even. So the next time someone says to me, I don't care who you sleep with, I'll just say, I don't care which football team you support, but I pretend to listen anyway. Because I do. <laughs> Whoever listens to football chat, not me. Not me. I've always said they should do a comedy about football chat because... You, you, you can go to gyms and things, and the the guys they're outdoing each other all the time on what they know about football to some ridiculous extent. You know, they know all the players. They know it's as though it's there. It's they're in charge. It's their club and all the rest of it. And it's just it's just funny. I mean, it's just it's just daft, you know. But that's the way the society we've we've created. People have got to a point now as well, whereby and this comes up on a lot on online and lots of forums and things that when somebody comes out as being. Uh, bisexual or sometimes gay or pansexual or whatever it may be the 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 response is often now why do they have to keep talking about it why do we nobody's bothered anymore mm. we've moved on we've moved on nobody's interested in people talking you know about the sexuality it's not a problem they don't they shouldn't have to come out and talk about stuff it's private it's up to them whatever they want to do and and but nobody seems to get that you know for people who are bisexual or pansexual or whatever it is quite important to actually come out and say who you are because actually if you don't everyone's just going to assume you're one way or another and nothing nothing else so you guys are saying that i can use this football analogy going forward because i was so on the fence about like people be like it's not a football thing but but i do feel like and maybe this is a british thing like people would get it if i started leaning into it yes. like so like describing bisexuality being like it would be like if you were a man city supporter in like a town filled with like newcastle supporters that's how like out of out of it, you would feel like because I yeah. feel like that's the only way some British people would ever understand. Yeah, I think it's a great analogy because you what you would say to them is, if you support Newcastle and I support Man City or vice versa, we both like football, but we're not on the same team, and therefore Ooh. that that's kind of where I would go with it. Like we're technically we're the same, but of course you would never consider yourself to be like us, and your experience yeah. of football is different. So that's what I say to them. Could football be the, the, the barrier to, to bisexual acceptance? Who knows? Could it, yeah. I mean, if you, if you can explain foot, uh, bisexuality by way of a football analogy, and this catches fire, Lewis. <laughs> and maybe I could get these articles in sports magazines, which is like a, an untapped market. Of course, there are a lot of, I'm sure, quite a few bisexual footballers out there that we don't oh, know about yet absolutely <laughs> so, the well, Ash, know about, yeah. just not to like tap myself on the shoulder here and i'll get off the football now but i've written quite a lot of articles because in the football football is like keen for the first gay footballer in the premier league um, and as i've always like written these articles about like uh there's probably more likely there's one that's bisexual i mean there was there was like that whole sun article um, a few years ago where there was there was clearly a bisexual footballer and they couldn't name him. Um, but football's all about, oh, we'll protect gay players. It's like, what about the bisexual ones? What guarantees can you give to a bisexual player that if they come out, they won't be like, it's, it's football's well, first bi- gay footballer. Well, a bisexual guy did come out as a footballer in one of the lower league teams um, sometime last year, actually. 
So it does it does happen. And they were very supportive but not of him. League, yeah. Very supportive of him. He did get a lot of abuse about it, though. To be fair, but the, his team were supportive of him, and his, the fan, most of the fans of the club were supportive of him. So, but yeah, as a whole, it's still very much a very much a, a taboo. There is a, an organisation called uh, which my partner years ago was a member of, called the Gay Football Supporters Network. I think they're still around. Um, but you know, I'm, I wonder if there's a buy football. Well, there ought to be a buy football supporters network. I'm sure there will be somewhere, or could be. We maybe should create one, Lewis. Maybe you should run a buy football supporters network. I can't do all these <laughs> things that we say we'll create. In you this can podcast. do it all. Like, this you would be a great all. idea. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, and, and forgetting the small point, Ash, he doesn't like football. He's not interested in yeah. it. So he's only like them because they're bisexual, or not because they like the footer. Yeah, that's that's already already fake. That could be how you hook them in, Lewis, as well. Yeah. But how many partners How many partners of people who are into football pretend to like it? Tons of them, don't they? Well, I'm so glad my husband doesn't like football. Oh, my God, that saves me every Saturday. <laughs> it's such a role reversal for me because I obviously had a dad that loved his football and he obviously had me, his son, that just could not have cared less. And now I'm the dad and I've got a son that's literally like, football, and I'm like, oh, God. Like, this must have been how my dad felt in reverse. Do you watch Jamie, then? Yeah, but I'm just watching it for the hot ones and see the bulges (laughs) move. See, you're going to recruit for the Bisexual Football League that you're going to set up. (laughs) I have no idea yet. Let me half think about it. All right. Think about who who your dream team would be. Who my dream team would be. I mean, obviously Ronaldo. Ronaldo, Um, really? Okay. Could have naked football. Just because I feel like we'd be fighting each other to to look at each other in the mirror. I so we could have naked football. That'd be, That'd be all right. I've been that naked. naked football. Yeah, why not? Speaking of bisexual <laughs> porn, we'll come to that in a moment. Bisexual porn, but just 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 going back to the issue of people <laughs> thinking that everyone's talking about sex all the time, and that you know the Cory star Kimberly Hart Simpson um, came out recently as pansexual. And she's been getting lots of um, abuse online about being pansexual. And just to give you an example of something which I read um, on one of the forums, where somebody responded and said, I don't even know what that means, i.e. pansexuality. And somebody responded, it means she's greedy, fancies a bit of what's there at the time, but won't commit to being with one or the other. That was one response, to which I responded uh, to that on the um, on the forum. And then the other response was, um, being on your own, single, brings a power that only some people can handle. Insecure people need to be in constant relationships. What do you make of that, Nikki? Yeah, it's not very good, is it? It just feels so lazy. I mean, yeah. when people are writing this stuff, do they really believe it? It's difficult to know. But then why would they write it otherwise? You know, Because it seems like a lot of effort to go and write something on the internet anyway these days. Yeah. So if you're popping off about it, yeah. But then what's that saying about you? What did you learn when you were growing up? What secrets have you got hidden that you kind of uh, sort of, uh, you know, displacing or distracting people from? That's what I always think about. If somebody is particularly virulent about something that doesn't really seem to matter that much or affect them, what are they hiding? So as we keep saying in every single episode of Bachelor's Brunch, still a long way to go. <laughs> Getting there slowly, but still a long way to go. So let's talk then about what our main topic is for this uh, edition of Bisexual Brunch, which is by porn then. Uh, I set you to some homework to go and watch some by porn. Did you both do it? Yes. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about 
by because we often talk about porn. In fact, in the last well, ep- actually, hang on a sec, Ash. Lewis didn't answer. Lewis, did you do your homework? <laughs> I- <laughs> I reluctantly did do my homework. Oh, right. yeah. okay, so. <laughs> just, just check you before I put myself on the line. Luke so, <laughs> so we have we have several times, quite a few times. For the last the last episode, we talked about porn, and Lewis brought up the. We, we talked about one of somebody had written a, a, a on your ask a bisexual dad, wasn't it? I think if I remember rightly, somebody yeah. had been in touch with you about feeling guilty about watching gay porn. I think, gay and they were in a straight relationship. And then I spoke to somebody a bit later on in that episode who was uh, in a gay-facing relationship who um, me and he, he admitted feeling guilty about looking at straight porn because we felt as though it was a betrayal of, of our LGBT side of things. So so we've looked at it in a way from both of those sides. I know, Nikki, you've talked about this as well. Um, but there does happen to be opportunities out there to watch buy porn, the things that market themselves as, as buy porn. Just tell us your experience of this first of all, and then we'll talk. We'll debate about the whys and wherefores of it. Nikki, what's um? Yeah, tell us what you watched. What did you What did you watch for you for your homework? Well, because I know a lot about ethical porn and women made porn, I decided to work against type and go and see what there was in the mainstream, if anything, labelled bisexual porn. And as it happens, Pornhub does have a category called bisexual porn. So I started to kind of make my way through the clip. Just, you know what it's like. You're choosing porn. You're like, just at the beginning, you're not quite sure if you're going to be bothered to watch the whole thing. So, uh, but I was like, no, you've got to do your homework. You've got to do your homework, Nikki. So you need to watch more than you would usually. Uh, so I started going through it and I, I've got to be honest, I actually fell asleep. <laughs> the stuff I was watching was so pedestrian. It was so unimaginative. I think, like, the good buy stuff hides in other categories. That's my conclusion. So I think they label by porn is rubbish, but if it's actually a mix of people of different genders, then that's, that's what I would consider to be by porn. And it's more interesting. Did you get the impression the people who were doing these things were actually bisexual themselves, or do you think it no, was just put on? not at all. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's said from a place of, you know, remember back in the day I used to live in LA and I used to interview porn stars and I knew a lot of them a lot of the major porn stars, and uh, actually a good proportion of them were bisexual, but I just feel like the script and the, the direction they get puts it again through this very heterosexual male gaze. Yeah. And it strips, strips out the bi, even though they're of different genders, which is ridiculous when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of stuff, of course, is, is labelled either as um, uh, MMF or FFM or whatever, you know what I mean? So... It, it it it's come they're coming at it in a way from a, from a heterosexual mainly male perspective a lot of the time aren't they basically and a lot of the yeah, stuff that's put like, out there but, and and things like okay I'm gonna get graphic now listeners turn off if you're of sensitive <laughs> disposition but you know DP double penetration yeah how is that not a prime by sex act because. The men in it surely are doing it because they're getting off on the enjoyment of being with the other guy and the other girl and their sensations. But if you watch that porn, it's always the girl being like, oh, oh two cogs, yes. But that's, I don't feel like that's what's actually going on for the people who are doing the, who are, who enjoy the experience of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, what about your experience of this, Lewis? Is it something you've <laughs> regularly done in the past or was this, an, was this a new uh, endeavour? No, I've always tried to dig. I'm always trying to dig to get more out of Lewis. He's quite coy, isn't he? He's quite. I mean, this is the thing, though. Yeah, if you just say it all 
start off with Ash, we're asking you more questions. That's my no, topic. this is the fun of it, though. This is the flirting <laughs> we do. Like, I hold back a little bit, and Ash tries to get some more out of me than I would give her. <laughs> I'll throw him a little bone of information, and then that's it till the next episode. Um, right. Um, what was I going to say? Um, bisexual porn. Right. So, I mean, ethically, I don't really like if that makes sense just in the sense of like i just think we all are having too much sex with our phones or laptops and why don't you just save that for your actual partner um it's kind of my take on it that said it is conflicting because obviously i know a lot of bisexuals use porn to kind of explore the thing that's not their partner and that's like a healthy way that they balance and tick all the boxes of no like i have this great sex with my um, same sex partner but also the bisexual part of me like is fed by the porn and that's okay because we're monogamous or whatever it is. So I totally get it works. And like, I'm not like anti-porn. I'm not like now, never. Um, but I just, I just don't think it's the, the healthiest thing to do when you have a sexual partner. Anyway, um, I watched your porn, Ash. That was um, him pretending to be Mary Whitehouse there, wasn't it? Actually, he was a bit Mary whitehouse <laughs> wasn't he? Yeah. I don't get the reference. Oh. Who's Mary Whitehouse? Oh, we've oh, oh. got to explain Mary Whitehouse for Lewis. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keep listening for that section. Right, okay. Everybody. Anyway, um, right, on the porn side. I mean, it was fine. I, I've never... Here's the thing. You can't do bisexual porn, really, with two people, can you? So it's always got to be three or more people. Um, and I was never turned on when I was single by having sex with men and women at the same time. I love a threesome or an orgy with like men and I love a threesome or an orgy with women, but the whole like there's someone's, someone's fucking you and you're fucking someone. It's like, no, this is too much for me. It's too much both worlds meet. I'm very like, I, and I know that's a weird that makes me probably really odd bisexual, but it, cause I think everyone's like, oh, you must love the idea of like three penises in your mouth and there's two women down there. And I'm like, no, that's too much for me. It's just Sensory too much overload. going on. Too much to concentrate yeah, on. Yeah, it's too much. I can very much be, um, you know, I can focus on the whole, like, I'm, I'm a man having sex with women or I'm a man having sex with men, but the whole having sex both at the same times never did it for me, just for some reason. I know there's loads of bisexuals, like, that is my idea of heaven. For me, it's just not, and I think that's okay. So there's that. Um, I got kind of into the... the <laughs> I know this sounds weird, but I got into the... I don't even know what you call it, the ethics or the politics. Basically, there's um, there's this whole series called Hot Guys Fuck, right? Which is all about these really hot men that, like, you know... It, and it's kind of like, um, you know, uh, made from, you know, people that enjoy watching the men have sex. Um, but they have now... Because when I was Googling it, by Guys Fuck... But strangely, it's the same men from Hot Guys Fuck. And so I was like, well, are these, are these porn stars, these porn stars aren't straight then? Are they gay for pay? Are they bisexual? And then I was, and then I kind of like left the porn behind and was trying to find interviews about it because I thought it was quite interesting that these men are being marketed to women and, uh, and I guess men as like these straight hunks that, yeah, they have sex with women, they're strong. But then in the next video, if you search them as bisexuals, they've got like five dicks in their mouth. So I thought that was quite interesting. But I guess and then I, and then I wasn't acting. watching porn anymore. I was looking for like interviews. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I, I kind of failed. Did either of you I, bring your partners into this uh, this experiment? Oh no, I couldn't be bothered. No, to do that. that sounded too stressful. It was it was personal homework, and I was like, he'll just be like, you make me do all sorts of stuff for the podcast. You make me do all sorts of stuff for articles. 
He probably, yeah. he would definitely have done it, but I was like, nah. Because I, <laughs> I, I didn't know if I was going to fall asleep. Because then I was like, well, if he gets into it and then we have to have a mama session, it's a bit late. And I've got to get up for the gym. <laughs> so. Well, in answer to what Lewis <laughs> was talking about there, about not being interested in, um, you know, having sex with men and women together, I think from conversations I've had with a, a fair few people over time, that actually there are a lot of bisexual people who do feel like that. They 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 see their sexual relations with um, with different genders in in that way. It's it's, it's exclusive to to that to, to them at that particular point. But there are there are a lot of people who do who are into you know mixing and matching and all the rest of it. And what I don't like about a lot of it is, I mean, obviously there's, there's lots and lots of porn out there, but. By and large, the the bisexual porn tends to be. It tends to be for me. I think it seems to be more manufactured than the others. You don't tend to find a lot of amateur stuff going on. You don't tend to find a lot of just you know just people just just doing. It. I suppose there isn't that much of an opportunity to to film stuff like that, or even as you say, ethical porn or whatever. And it feels it feels that each you know each what each um, everything is a bit contrived. Do you know what I mean? It all feels a bit stagey. And, Absolutely, and, that's exactly yeah. what I thought about it. And yeah. because it didn't feel, because it didn't feel authentic, it didn't feel sexy, so it wasn't turning me on. Yeah, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So it's like you need. You can obviously see if somebody's acting, but if they're acting and having a great time, and they're st- you know, if the acting is good enough, and they obviously are having pleasure, then that's great to watch. Yeah. But yeah. if it's just like, oh, we better fil- we better fulfil this extra category and make this content because it's good for SEO, which is what it sounds like some porn companies are doing then that's not that's not actually serving bisexuals no so no. yet again we're at the bottom of the pile in terms of our appetites being fulfilled or not as the case may be so if you were to make perfect what you would think would be perfect bisexual porn nikki if you were in charge of a, a porn company and were and this is another idea isn't it we keep coming up with all these ideas we've got a whole host <laughs> of things side, we could do. next side business yeah <laughs> What 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 would it be? How would it work? Do you think? What would you? Because because the other thing is a lot of again because something we've talked about before. There's a lot of the, the roles are assumed as well, aren't they? In all these things, that the, what people are doing is assumed to be a, a traditional male role, a traditional female role, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Still, that is very much the the main thrust of these things, isn't it? There's no you know and we, you know now we've got the whole issue around gender and different things, you know, and, and people being you know not just not just male and female, but non-binary and all that kind of stuff. You don't see much of that coming through, do you? So, you know, how would you... What would make perfect bi-porn, do you think? Well, so I think on that point, most of all the bi-porn, actually, that I watched for the homework was heteronormative. As in, it didn't matter what gender or how many people of different genders were in it, they were still playing to scripts of men versus women. Yeah. So, first of all, I would make it queer, queer in the sense of it that, you know kind of like carnivalistic and and having that different approach to gender. So non-heteronormative. Then I would probably actually do what they say they're trying to do in Hollywood at the minute with disability. And uh, there's that brilliant film uh, coda that's come out about with the deaf actors. I probably would only cast people who were actually bi. Mm. Because then at least I'd know that if they were attracted to each other, then their desire was authentic. Yeah, And I think that would make a bit of a difference. And then I just really mix up the scripts so you know more women over top women penetrating as well as men um maybe maybe doing what actually happens a lot of the time women getting some kind of sex from a guy that's not very satisfying and then moving on to a woman where they have a much better time so kind of 
showing the journey of people's sexual exploration with their bi would be quite fun to do, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing is, of course, the thing that does come out in all of these things, which obviously you don't see in bi porn because they assume that, you know, you don't want to, you don't want the reality. And that is, of course, that in any situation where you are actually doing this in, in, in reality and you, you, you're you sharing partners or whatever it may be, there's often jealousy that comes into it. There's often people get left out of the whole situation. You know, this is the reality, isn't it? You know, there's a show on TV at the moment which is talking about open relationships and they're doing an experiment with this couple who are really interested in having experimenting, having an open relationship. And the poor guy on the first date with... He's, he's straight, but she's bisexual. Um, he gets completely left out and is really upset about the whole thing. Um, and they, you know, it's quite it's quite interesting to see how people react to, to things. Because, you know, the thing about porn is it's, it's fiction, isn't it? It's in your mind and it's on in an image and all the rest of it. But in reality, it doesn't always, doesn't always work out. I'm not sure you want to d- depict that in porn. But what I'm trying to say is there are... There are other areas that need to be discussed here. And I suppose it's exactly the same, actually, when it comes to watching porn, isn't it, as well, with partners, in a way? Because some partners might feel a bit sort of, ooh, you know, what what they, am I really not delivering what they want kind of thing? You know what I mean? I mean, does that does that ever come up with you, Nikki, in terms of your, conver- your conversation with your partner about anything? Or no, it- not really, because I, I like to borrow a term from polyculture, which is compersion which is taking joy in your partner's pleasure with other people. So, and I sort of think that's the same with porn. You know, whatever porn my husband watches is up to him. I don't, it's it's not that I'm not interested. It's that I I believe that he should have a kind of private sexual life that I don't have to know about. And that's absolutely fine with me. We're monogamous. So that aspect, we're not sleeping with other people. But I think he's allowed a fantasy line that I don't have to know about. And I think I am too. So I like to take, I take a lot of pride in thinking that he feels free enough to have those explorations or those private moments, as I do. Nikki, you're the, so you're the perfect you're the perfect liberal wife. You really are. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Everyone everyone wants a Nikki. Everyone needs a Nikki. So, the opposite of Mary Whitehouse. <laughs> absolutely. Her husband must have been on the pod all the time, I think. <laughs> we'll explain to Lewis in a minute who Mary Whitehouse was. But, yeah, we but before chucking the name in but, when he doesn't know before that, So for that. you for you, Lewis, then by porn, if I was asked, I asked the question to Nikki, what would make the perfect by porn? For you, you, you're not really bothered, are you, in that sense? It's, it's... I think we already, look at us, it's so wonderful. This is the one time where I think bisexuals really do have a good time. We can enjoy gay porn, we can enjoy lesbian porn, we can enjoy straight porn, we can enjoy bi porn. The only problem where bisexuals really do suffer, I've found in my personal experience in the past, is that it can take so, le- so long to come, really, because you could spend, like, you know, half an hour watching straight porn, and then, as you're about to come, you can switch to gay porn. All of a sudden, you've gone from fucking to being fucked, and then it's like, oh, and your brain's recovering, and the next thing you know, it's 6am in the morning, you've lost the whole night. True story. <laughs> I don't like it, Lewis. <laughs> I know. I'm way too I like old to shock and tired. Ash every now and again. I know. I do love it. I'm too old and tired for six a.m. <laughs> but I like that you're not. You are a lot younger than us. I mean, this is this is years ago. I'm talking about, but like, <laughs> that's years ago. Like, apparently, last I feel weekend. Like yeah, last weekend. <laughs> but I feel like there's like there's definitely like. Um, I feel like most people that are say straight, they were just watching straight porn. So like you watch a couple of videos, and that's it, and it's over. But I do feel like with bisexuals, you can go from, oh, I'm close, so I'm going to switch tactic here, switch speed. Let's like go from this fantasy of 10 men doing what they want to me to now I'm a man having sex with a woman. 
And now, oh, my brain's resetting a little bit. I'm, you know, that that pleasure thing is a little bit further away. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because the 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 use of the porn by bisexual people is sky high, and I think it is a because obviously it's a bit of an outlet, but. I think it probably I would love to see statistics on how long it takes by people to come to porn <laughs> and I think I think we would I think we would have endurance a lot longer than straight and um and gay people I feel like this episode now is very much like porn where I feel like if someone is listening to this episode like they're gonna have turned it off by now if they were blasting it out in the office you know what I mean people don't listen or to this podcast car. out loud do they email uh, some email people email I know no, some people I know listen to this podcast in the car when they're driving with their oh. other half. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So, so hopefully this is going to provoke a conversation between them about, well, what pod do you really want to watch? Can, can I look at your pod list? Can you look at mine? I think they skipped the next episode 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be igniting. I think there's a lot of people out there, actually, who are bisexual, who probably have never even looked up by porn, actually. Yeah, I fair. agree. Um, and they might be looking and finding it for the very first time, you know. So that would be quite interesting. Anyway, let's move on and just educate um, Lewis a little bit about who Mary Whitehouse yeah, was. who's this woman? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I, it's funny that you don't know about her, but I suppose, yeah, I mean, it was a very long time ago that she was around, well, well before you were born. Uh, Mary Whitehouse was this conservative, almost evangelical Christian former teacher in the 1970s who decided to take on the not just the establishment, but the government, the film industry, any area of life where she thought there was obscenity, sexual obscenity happening. And she started to campaign and write these letters and she became a one-woman political machine. And so the BBC at the minute is looking back at her life and looking at her journey as a political campaigner because that's absolutely fascinating and looking at her legacy now when I was a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s in Yorkshire people if somebody was really scurrilous about sex or somebody was really backwards you know like conservative about it we'd say oh they're a Mary Whitehouse that was the shorthand but the fact that she's been revisited for a political campaign she's actually a really clever very very clever operator but the thing is the BBC is actually asking if she was right about obscenity and me and oh. Ash have watched it and sort of freaked out a little bit that we're that conservative, maybe? I don't know. So I would lo- I would find that interesting because I always find cap- documentaries on campaigners, obviously, with what we do here, quite interesting. So I would definitely give it a watch. You should definitely but, watch um, it because it's actually a really good portrait of what it was like in the 60s sexually, what it was like in the 70s sexually. Don't you think, Ash? Like, yeah, it's, a good, yeah. it's a good reflection of what was going on socially. Yeah, no, Because from what I hear back in the days... Like we were, we were all on the cusp of acceptance of LGBT people just before the AIDS pandemic broke out, and then it just yeah. set us back decades. Yeah, it did. That's, it that's did. one part of it. Yeah, yeah, it's one part of it. It's one part of it. But I think, I think the reason it's become uh, the reason they're doing it now, in a way, is because actually, as a society, although we've become quite accepting and liberal on certain aspects of sexuality. Um, attitudes to sex because of lots of scandals and lots of various other things uh, mean that we've, you know, in a black and white way, which obviously everyone, the media tends to look at things in a black and white way rather than looking at the actual detail of things. In a black and white way, there is there has been a bit of a backlash against the, you know, the the sexual liberation and the, you know, the the, the, the you know, it's as though it's as though we've become we became too liberated because we've let 
certain extremes happen and things happen. And I think what they're trying to say is, was was she right after all? You know, should, should we have been looking at these things and these issues and policing things much more than 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 we did? Um, I think that's wrong. I think that's ridiculous um, to think that um, because she's she represents a particular extreme and the things that everyone everyone's horrified about are extremes as well. And those extremes don't don't exist in you know in 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 the to the quantity that everyone thinks they do or or, or the media would have you believe they do. Um, and I I find it quite scary actually, uh, uh, Nikki, because I thought to myself, well actually. We go down this route, and it, there's been other other um, examples of that recently. If we go down this route, then we we are taking things massively backwards again, because you know all those people who in the fifties and sixties who had to hide, you know, their sexuality, whether whether they were gay or whatever, or even things where you know up to the nineteen. What well, I was born in nineteen seventy two, and I'm I was born out of wedlock, and my you know my, I remember yeah you know, I was people did. Call me. A, I was a bastard, basically, and that was a, a discriminatory thing, wasn't it, back in the day? You know, to have to have a kid born out of wedlock that was that was awful. That was a horrible thing, you know. And you had all the situation around the pill and abortion and all these other things that I thought we'd got over, but actually, it worries me that we're we might be turning the clock back a little bit in terms of our attitudes. And I, I think there's a whole generation of younger people growing up who, because they in a way, I'm using Lewis's example here, because they don't know of these struggles, in a way, of what went on. I'm not saying you are completely ignorant of it, Lewis, but I'm just showing there's an example there because you don't know who Mary Whitehouse is. A lot of people out there don't know even the AIDS epidemic. They don't know about all these different things. That we might be in a position where people feel as though there is some kind of purity, do you know what I mean, around sex, and that somehow think, it's been yeah. contaminated by some by older people who, you know, I don't know. Yeah. You know. I think what what is frustrating is that the liberal side, the liberal contingent, has lost the ethical argument mm. against porn, against so called free love, and they need to take that back because mm. you can be perfectly ethical and so called promiscuous. You can be perfectly ethical and be watching pornography, and that isn't they're not they haven't protected that enough. They've no. taken for granted that that's the new way of thinking and that will always remain. And I think what this documentary shows is that we could so easily have that reversed. Yeah, most certainly. Definitely, definitely, definitely. It, 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 it's true. But nobody, nobody seems to challenge it, do they? Because it's sort of, again, because I think, I think deep down we still have an issue at certain levels of talking and accepting the fact that we are sexual human beings. Absolutely. And we still find it an embarrassment for some reason. You know, the conversations we're having here, you don't get them in many places. Yeah, you might get it on late night Channel 4 or Channel 5 or whatever, or BBC 2 or whatever later. You'll, you do get it. You do get it at certain times. But in the mainstream as a whole, you don't get these conversations, do you? Let's face it. You well, know. no, and it's like the uh, programme that's on Channel 4 at the minute about open relationships is really interesting because I was part of the pitch for it. And... They didn't want me as an expert, ultimately, because my argument was too nuanced. They wanted it to be sensationalist. They wanted it to be tabloid fodder. And as as long as they are pursuing that agenda of that kind of press, we aren't going to have any sophisticated conversations yeah, in the media. Yeah, absolutely. So it's Bisexual Brunch, and there's plenty more to come. Uh, we've, of course, got our bisexual journey story for this time, uh, and we've got Ask a Bisexual. That's all to come a little bit later on. But the main focus, other than bi-porn, <laughs> on this particular show is all about 
Another Bloody Sunday, a groundbreaking British film which was nominated uh, for several Oscars and won several BAFTAs and a Golden Globe back in 1971, which tackled bisexuality for the very first time and really hasn't been matched since in many ways. And we've got a very special interview coming up with Murray Head, who was the love interest uh, in that particular film. That's coming up in just a few moments' time. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. Dale, how the hell did I end up here? Based on a true story. What choice do you have? Tell the world that Rock Hudson is gay? You're a good-looking kid. I don't have anyone else on my books like you. How about I start to represent you? A moving 40-minute drama based on the life and career of Rock Hudson. Yes! Good boy. You just made the best decision of your life. Written by Tim Fountain and starring Michael Xavier and Betty Bourne. Rock! Rock? Strong, masculine. Rock Fitzgerald? Not Fitzgerald. Sounds Irish. Nebraska, Washington, Hudson. Hudson. What about Rock Hudson? Get your coat on. I'm going to introduce Rock Hudson to Hollywood. Search for Distinct Nostalgia within your podcast provider or visit distinctnostalgia.com. we got to do something about your voice, kid. We're going to snap your vocal cords. What? Ah. Uh, louder. Ah. Uh, louder. Uh, Rock. Winner of the BBC's first ever online audio drama award. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. So then to our special interview on this edition of Bisexual Brunch. We're turning the clock back 51 years to Sunday Bloody Sunday, a 1971 British film, a groundbreaking British film, which tackled bisexuality and included a same-sex kiss for the first time in a big movie. It was uh, nominated for four Oscars uh, and it won several BAFTAs and a Golden Globe. It was controversial in its day um, and certainly pushed the boundaries. So 50 odd years on, we've been talking to Murray Head, who played the love interest in the uh, three-way between Alex uh, and Daniel. Uh, Daniel, a gay Jewish doctor played by the great British actor Peter Finch, and Alex, a divorced woman in her 30s, played by Glenda Jackson, another great British actor who uh, became famous in later years uh, for her portrayals of Elizabeth I. So this film was interesting. It was groundbreaking. If you get a chance to uh, watch it, please do, if you've never seen it before. And do let us know what you think about it. Does it stand the test of time? Um, It was really one of the few films that's ever tackled bisexuality um, in such a... um, full frontal way uh, as it were and we'll be learning a bit more about that in a moment uh, in the interview with uh, Murray Head but say get in touch with us if you want and tell us about what your feelings are about the film contact us uh, info at madeymanchester.tv uh, on email or of course you can contact us um, via twitter just a, a little bit more about the film it was directed by the legendary John Schlesinger who is a gay man himself, uh, whose films also include Midnight Cowboy, A Kind of Loving, Far From the Madding Crowd, Billy Liar and The Day of the Locusts. And the screenplay was by Penelope Gilliatt. Now, Murray Head 
um, who was the uh, big love interest in this and we've been talking to. Um, just a word about him. He was also famous for Jesus Christ Superstar and the song One Night in Bangkok. I don't know if you remember that. Anyway, it was an absolute pleasure to sit down with a legend of British cinema. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you, Murray. So let's focus then um, on Sunday Bloody Sunday. How did you land this big bisexual role? I went through three auditions with uh, John Schlesinger. Uh, The first was to talk about myself and my parents and my background. The second was to do a reading. And the third was a screen test. I believe there were eight other people up for the job. They were obviously toying with the idea of whether to use uh, somebody gay or whether to use a heterosexual. And they went for the heterosexual side. I think Penelope Gilliatt had a say in it. But what was interesting was that at that point, the doctor was played by Ian Bannon. And we did some rehearsals uh, for dialogue. I mean, it's what you do is you start doing spontaneous stuff and Penelope Gilliatt runs in between your legs or around you with a notepad taking down what you're saying. And I have to say that some of the stuff I came up with, I actually found on screen, which is, you know, one thing to be proud of um but the mischief in john was such that he said um to ian bannon you know right uh, i'd like to see the kiss now this famous kiss that has already got uh, uh, you know a, a red ring round it or in is underlined and ian bannon he went for me and it was highly unnatural, incredibly intense, and he thrust his tongue down my throat. And it was, you know, in a rehearsal, it wasn't quite what I was waiting for. It was a, it, it just felt uncomfortable. And it was hard to relax <laughs> during the moment. So he didn't get the part in the end. How then did Peter Finch get the role? Probably the, the biggest compliment for anybody's ever paid me was when they came up to me, if, uh, you know, uh, they put the film on hold and said, uh, just out of interest, Murray, who, would, who do you see playing this role? And I said, well, funnily enough, I've got an incredibly vivid image of... Um, of Peter Finch, who was in The the Pumpkin Eater. Um, and I think that was a Penelope, I think that was a Penelope Gilliatt screenplay. I'm not sure. Peter, 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 Peter Finch had also, of course, played Oscar Wilde in The Trials of Oscar Wilde, hadn't he? Already? Yes, I think so, you know. I think he'd done that in the 60s. I think. No, no. No, was that later, was it? I think he said, well, no, anyway, at the time, they thought of him. They said, we thought of him. The trouble is he's in Russia doing the red tent. And I said, and he said, anybody else? I said, well, uh, and I threw it. I think I even said Bernard Lee. But whatever it was, 
Um, the idea that they should ask me at all if I had anybody in mind uh, it was extraordinary. It gave me enormous confidence. Just checking, just checking. Yeah, the trials of Oscar Wilde was 1960. Oh, right. Yeah, so he'd, so, so he'd, he'd already... Oh, he knew, yes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he'd, he'd already played those kind of parts to an extent, so, you know, as well. And he played, yes, and he played it beautifully because I remember, I've seen it and it's... Um, I love Rupert Everett's, but I mean, I do think um, that, that bearing in mind the, the time, um, I thought... Uh, He's, he's just avoiding the camp uh, so well, you know. Uh, and, it were, and it's got so much pathos as a film. So what, uh, were, you, what were you, I mean, just looking back at this film now for a second. Um, obviously, it was 1971. Um, homosexuality in the UK had only just been decriminalised in 1967-68. Here was a film not only looking at homosexuality, because Peter Finch's character was, was gay, but it was also looking and touching on something which still rarely gets talked about even today, even though it's huge, and that is bisexuality. People who are bisexual. I think we're, I think we're f much freer now with the LGBT, the whole movement of, wait a minute. We are. Not everybody feels the same way, you know. We are, we are. Although I present a programme called Bisexual Brunch, which is a, a worldwide podcast. And it's, a, it's, it's amazing how many men in particular constantly get in touch with us who are in um, straight-facing relationships who've never been able to be honest with their partners about the fact that they're bisexual. So it's still an issue for a lot of people. You know, it's, it's easier to be gay yeah. than it is to be bisexual. So were you told from the outset that you were going to be this bisexual character? I wasn't told anything. I knew it was bisexual from the script. Don't forget, Peter Finch is John Sessinger. It's John Sessinger's story. What annoyed me, because I need some tangible link with reality, all the trimmings, the, the, the film industry and its problems that it was having in those days, uh, are, are confusing. People coming up, saying oh well you're a star now you're you know you're on. i'm going please don't don't go there leave me alone i'm doing a job and it's a difficult job um and i've got you know now what john i think liked in his first and second audition was something that I knew I possibly had in my personality. But as soon as it appeared or I would recognize it again, I would do everything in my power to lose it, which is a capacity for cutting out. And I think he wanted that coldness. Um, when it got down to it, um, 
Glinda at the same time was in a different period of evolution. She, uh, I think she exposed herself, it's, it's a comment that I, it's, it's, it's just my opinion, but I think she exposed herself more than she had realized in the Ken Russell Tchaikovsky. Uh, there's a scene in a carriage with Richard Chamberlain, it's, you know, and that it had brought the usual sort of attitude from the press. And so she'd also just had a child and got married to Roy. And I, I tried desperately to find a heart, to find something by, you know, to, to base, to, to, to just something, some small way in which to appeal. It was stone cold. It was just, it was somewhere in there, but frozen. I, I don't know, you know, it doesn't work like that. She works in a different way. I need emotional contact. Whereas Peter Finch, I just worshipped. He was the most wonderful man I'd ever met in my life. He believed in all the things that I had sort of, was part of my hippie philosophy, of an attitude you know, to possessions and everything else. He was just extraordinary. And I was, in a sense, because I wasn't getting anything from Glenda, I was in love with Peter in a way. You can, weirdly, weirdly, you telling me that, having watched the film several times, that's one of the things that strikes you. You can tell there's a, there's a definite warmth between the two guys and a coldness between the man and the woman. It's, it's weird, but it's there. You can tell on screen, I think. Well, add to this that because John is the doctor, I never met, I think I had an inkling as to who the woman was. But he was merely interested in the two. It was even relevant in the in the posters. I'm somewhere. In, I'm 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 somewhere in the background. You've got the two of them face to face of Glenda and Peter, and I felt out of focus nearly all the way through the film. It was like all the attention had to be on their compromises, their sacrifices, not the young man who can do what he likes. You know, and. About a third of the way through the film, I broke down. I said to John, what the fuck do they see? Why do they put up with this? With this little tit who just, you know, wanders around, does what he wants, goes to one when he feels like, goes to another when he gets bored. What is it? I mean, but what do they see in him? She said, sex, dear. And I, I found myself saying, you know, what? Well, that's all very well. Sex does a lot, mate. But, you know, I hadn't found ultimate sex by that time in my life. I was quite young, you know. So, you know, there was no way I could understand that. And then came the moment of the kiss. And despite all that carefree attitude. I mean, all the way through the film, if you look at it, his attitude to the young is pretty devastating. I mean, it's either children scoring uh, cars with, you know, keys, uh, or it's, it's 
children smoking joints in bed or it's uh, young 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 teenagers or, or or hippies hanging around boots at 12 o'clock at midnight um the only other young person is john finch and he's he, you know he's a drunk i mean there's an attitude to the young which is pretty down and all the way through there's a non-stop barrage of uh, of of headlines in newspapers about strikes about you know and it's really it's it's not that far from terminus it's 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 um you know it's a very bleak outlook but that's why it holds up today because it is an amazing snatch of uh, or chunk of middle class england in its worst state of confusion i mean the whole stuff for the social workers vivian pickles and and frank windsor it's fantastic stuff you know and 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 the token black jerry baptiste who's there you know who uh, it's all and the picture of the the woman with the whole, you know, the Oxfam poster on the wall and uh, refugee starvation and, 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 and her milk in the fridge, you know, the, the, her breast milk in the, it's all very real and very tough. But despite all that, the second assist um, said, oh, it's the big scene, isn't it? Oh, are you ready for the big scene? And I thought, fuck, he hasn't told me about the lines. I haven't read, I haven't learned my lines. So I got, looked at the screen and said, what big scene? Oh, right. It's the kiss. So Peter and I are there, ready for the rehearsal. And, you know, we're relaxed. There's this vibe from the, all the technicians which I learn about afterwards because they keep on coming up and saying, sort of launching into these obscure diatribes and then saying, <laughs> saying things like, I, I mean, I, I mean, I know you're an actor and I know you're supposed to be, but I, I mean, how, what do you feel when you have to, I mean, how to kiss a man? Oh, and all that. You go, oh, for crying out loud, mate, you know, get yourself sorted. Uh, you just the, the weight of this dense atmosphere which is finally prefaced by the camera operator stopping leaning on his camera and saying john is this really necessary uh, which i you know i thought okay mate you know fuck you uh, this is this is where i go for it. and peter had to find the perfect uh, expression for the press, you know, Murray and I did it for England, but, but I just thought, you know, this is absurd that such a small and, and lovely gesture should have this ring of fear and, and I don't know, uh, what you call it. It's, um, it was so unnecessary and it made me early on in life think well you know do what you feel what your heart tells you but for god's sake you know keep void society because you know it's just not there and the, the trouble is it what's good about it is that i was part of a moment which is easily recognizable when we saw the film 
in Mushes, and the head of Universal, Dave Pickers, came to see the film in, in, in Rushes. I promise you, the cigar dropped out of the mouth when he saw the kissing. And I, the pride I had when it happened was just, oh, thank goodness, I've actually, I've actually done something. I've done something which causes more than a ripple. And to this day, it still has a, you know, it's because it's so natural. Now, we'll talk in a minute about the impact of the film, but for you personally, obviously it was a, a very sexual film. You were in the nude a lot, all that kind of stuff. Did any of that bother you at the time? I mean, was that, how did you go about Nothing that? bothered you if it's, if it's realistic, if it's, if it's part of life. And did it feel realistic to you? Like in, in hair, they all take off their clothes at the end of the first act. Uh, they, they take off their clothes under a huge parachute of silk. I cannot tell you what the smell was like. I mean, it was the worst smell of, of all time. I mean, it was unbelievable because the, the parachute had never been washed and the people under it were, you know, quite sweaty and smelly. And so when I had, you know, I was leaving, I decided to uh, send it up. And so at the end, in that scene, it's uh, sort of ended by two, two actors in police costume coming down the center aisle, standing on stage and threatening to arrest them all because they're naked. We've also got, you know, uh, Calcutta's going on and all that, you know, at, at the same time. So I, inside, I'm thinking, this is just so self-conscious. So what I did was that on my last night, I dressed up as a flasher with, um, with suspend, you know, cut, cut, cut off trousers, suspenders holding them up, a Mac, and walked up the aisle with and <laughs> the police and flashed all these people naked on scene. And two of the cast went, oh my God, there's a man out there, and rushed off and did, did this whole thing. And I thought, yeah. Yeah, I've always felt that about you, you know, and uh, it, because it requires, you know, bursting the bubble. And the thing that was good was that self-consciousness was never present with, it was a bit with, with Glenda because I think she'd been burned. With Peter, he was so open. So at no point did I feel anything wrong. As I say, I'd, I'd stripped off in hair and it was an era where, you know, if you've got it, you know, all right, it might be a bit small or it might be a bit big, whatever, you know, who, who cares? And, um, and it's hard being all the way through life. If it's self-conscious, then it's doomed. Uh, I mean, I bumped in, after the film, I bumped into Roy Bolting in, in Poland Street. And he said, oh, I saw the film, terrible. I mean, how boring. What a boring person you were. I mean, how could you? I thought, all right, yes, I can see how it was boring. I tried my hardest to, to make more of it, but they didn't want that injection. 
They might have wanted it afterwards, but they didn't want it while I was there. What they wanted was to focus on the two. I also met the person I was playing. And that was a shock. That was a real shock. I felt that someone in the story had kidded themselves as to, you know. Uh, there I would question, you see, I buy bisexuality anytime if it's real, if it's honest, if it's true. I don't like it as a means to an end. I don't, I, I, that's wrong, totally wrong. I, that's not my society, that's not my... You don't, so you don't, think, you don't think the creators of this then had really had bisexuality in the in mind really it was just it was just there as a as a as a toy really to to sort of deal with the other two characters they weren't really they didn't really care about your character did they really well to, no but i it was difficult because I, I don't know how much penelope did penelope gilliatt because she was responsible for choosing me um don't forget I know thou, in old age, that youth is dispensable. It, 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 it has a, you know, and it's got a, an adverse, you know, they're getting rid of us as quickly as they can. And in the same way as we're in our, into our 30s, 40s and 50s, we try and ignore them. And because they consider themselves immortal, you're still immortal at that age. Um, they can wait, you know, you know, you don't take them seriously enough. It's being seen from a, an older perspective. And I don't think the film probably did everything that John wanted. I mean, I have to say that when he died, there, uh, there was this um, a series of uh, obituaries where I don't know who'd written it, but I mean, they said, John was really disappointed in Murray Head. He was never funny enough, or he was not, you know, uh, a whole thing. There was no room to be funny. There was no, you know, it, if there was funny, it was old men's humour. It certainly wasn't, you know, as I say, his attitude to the young is very prevalent throughout the film. It's very dark and, you know, and easily dispensed with. So I think it's because it happened. That's the excuse for everything. Was it seen as shocking at the time? Did it shock? Just the kiss shocked. I mean, I read, I read a wonderful article from um, John Hurt, who, <laughs> who was talking about the naked civil servant, which was magnificent. And I knew of Quentin Crisp way before they did that film because he used to be on the train going down to Guildford to be a male model in the art college there. And uh, I thought it was a magnificent performance, but John is capable of that. He is great. I mean, frankly, uh, Elephant Man is unsurpassed. It's the most extraordinary thing that anybody could ever do because it, you know, he's got all that gear and that mask and it was just stunning. Um, and he said, well, I got away with it, unlike Murray Head, who had the kiss of death. And I thought, oh, that's 
That's great. I hadn't thought about that. Judas as well, eh? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm getting a name for kissing, you know. Um, and it was such an innocuous and charming moment. What the heck? There should be so much around it. Shows you how screwed up life is. And I don't think for a minute... Because I went along to this 45th or something or other when they just done, they cleaned up the colour and they put it on at the BFI. And uh, they asked me whether I'd come along and talk afterwards. Uh, and, and watching the film, I thought, wow, it really holds up. And it holds up for the reason that I don't think John originally set out to do, which, like Terminus, it's a perfect example of the confusion in the 70s that we've we've partly come out of but i mean that same self-consciousness has you know got us into what you used to use this expression non-you and you now you know what's politically correct and what's it's it's such a millstone around the neck it's just it's, it's so heavy why no absolutely absolutely so what did it what do you think i mean people the the kiss was shocking um do do you remember i know thing you know we we don't have the same discussions or didn't have the same discussions then as we have now but this was a period when you know um homosexuality and bisexuality and whatever was 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 start was only just starting to be legally accepted etc can you remember what the response was from the different communities at the time I mean, was there much of a response or can you remember what people said to you did it, you know uh, it didn't get out enough i was quite keen after having been in wales for quite a few i went down to live in the country in wales west wales uh, near cardigan and um it had finally made its way to television by six, by 76 or 78 or something like that. And I was quite interested to see how my neighbors would react. And uh, it was, uh, well, you know, we don't get that sort of thing down here. We don't really know these people, these kind of people. I mean, I, Yes, I suppose so. You were, your acting wasn't bad, you know, I mean, but it, it, it just, it's luckily far too remote. And I think the film was remote. I don't, it was, it was, a, it was a critical success. Mm. But I don't think it, you know, it's a, it's an exposure of, a life that the people are not capable, really, of seeing objectively. As you said at the beginning, it's a very middle-class look at life, isn't it? It's not. Yeah. It's, it's not like it's uh, you know you were the you were a local builder who happens, no. who happens to be bisexual having sex with the you know the woman who runs the cafe yeah. around the corner and the and the miner. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's it's an area which a lot of people would just not understand, isn't it? That's the, that's the thing. It yeah. wouldn't connect with, would they, at all, you know? Yeah. It's, well, it's, you know, frankly, it's luxury. Yeah. I built luxurious machines. 
I was, uh, uh, all my machines were made by um, Long Crane and, and Broxton. They, 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 their whole thing was making gadgets and clever, you know, sculptures and, and, and things. It's, it's very strange. Um, I was kept in a box. I wasn't allowed out of it. I'll never know why. Um, I didn't, there were some things that I was asked to do that I couldn't do and weren't, so it didn't, it fell on, it didn't come through. It would have been very interesting, you know, having now, as I say, we make this program called Bisexual Brunch and I, I, I count myself as bisexual. And um, being a bisexual person, it, it's a very interesting life in the sense I'm very monogamous. I have a partner who I, I'm very loyal to. Yes, there are other people out there who are bisexual who are promiscuous, but like there are straight and gay people who are promiscuous. But I think it's taken a long time for people to really understand what bisexuality means. It would have well, been- I hasten to add, I have to say, yeah. and I can't help feeling that promiscuity has taken more of a backseat. That's given room for real love and yeah. affection. Uh, uh, and giving it a chance Absolutely. and giving it an opportunity. But, but, there is, but there is nothing wrong with people if they want to obviously, you know, be promiscuous and enjoy themselves and all the rest of it. But what I'm saying about your part is that maybe if this had been done 20, 30 years later, you might have been in a position where your, your character would have been more whole. There would have been more feeling, there would have been more depth to it, you know what I mean? Yeah, it would have been a lot more revealing. I mean, I would have, you, you know. Play, you were playing a sort of rather empty vessel, weren't you, really? That was the problem, in yeah. a way. You know, which yes. is a shame. Yeah. But also because I'm middle class and I'm, I'm stuck. I was the only young person on the set all the way through it. And yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's, it's just lonely. The moment you sign a film contract, they own you 25 hours a day. And, um, in that owning you, at the bottom of it is coming to terms with all we want is you to learn the lines and be on the marks. Which is fine in itself, but it allows for an arrogance and a, um, a hierarchy that I can't bear. I mean, I really can't bear it. You know, you, the director can't put a foot wrong, he's God. And, I don't see any necessity for that at all. To me, acting's about staying as much in real life as possible, not worrying about your ego, worrying about whether they love you or not, or whether they're gonna take you or not. It's about, you know, making use of the time you've got. Uh, most of the actors that I love, I mean, Peter Finch was fantastic to be with. We could talk about so much. It was only later when I read his autobiography I mean, his particular cross to bear was just horrendous. Um, his father was an amazing explorer. He was uh, in that group that went up Everest without any oxygen in 1926. Um, Peter was abandoned and put in a, a, a home and uh, I think it's his step-grandmother or something, somebody picked, took him out of the home and took him to India and put him in a Buddhist monastery, which uh, he left at a certain point and found his own way to Australia. 
where he was perfectly happy until Laurence Olivier and Vivian Lee picked him up and brought him to England. He was a natural, there was no doubt about it. But I mean, I never got to talk as much as I wanted to about the Aborigines. But his understanding, you just knew his understanding of life was, he got, he found the right things to, to root for, the right things to believe in. Um, and they are the people that you are attracted to and you learn from. Um, and the rest of it, as I say, whenever I did films, it wasn't, you know, you don't take the acting for granted, but you know what's asked of you and you do the thing. And that's pretty straightforward. You hope that you can make the lines work because um, that's your job is to make them work. Your job is to communicate. Um, and the rest of it is what's happening around. And I find that fascinating. And of course, somebody who was in it, and I, I didn't realise it was in it, I've just noticed that, was a future big name star who was uncredited as a child vandal. And that was Daniel Day-Lewis. What? Daniel Day-Lewis. Is he the child who's got the, who scrapes the cars? Apparently so, yeah, I think so. Mm. He's un uncredited child vandal, Daniel Day-Lewis. There you go. <laughs> so this film has a lot of, um, a lot of tentacles, doesn't it? A lot of tentacles. It certainly has. <laughs> but what's more important than anything else is that it still holds up. What about the music? The music was quite important as well, wasn't it? Was it Cozy Van Tutti, wasn't it, and things like that? Yeah, Cozy Van Tutti does, does wonders. You don't ever worry about that. It was Ron Jeeson was given the job of doing, who does sort of um, classically, classically tinged guitar uh, places and pieces and that, yes. Now, the music was lovely. When you look back then at it yourself, when you've watched it in more recent times, how do you feel about your own performance? Not great. There are moments. <laughs> um, you were a young man. This is 50 years ago we're talking about. Yeah. But, A, uh, my voice is high enough in real life. But when there was an awful moment when film was converted to tape and there was something happened in the, um, the speed, which meant that the voices are all a bit higher and my voice couldn't take being any higher than it was in the film. So it's like, you know, and it sounds very plushy and very pruney. Um, Difficult to say. I, I mean, I don't think anybody likes their own work. They all, I mean, not that one felt that I didn't know where I could have improved it. It's difficult to say because the object of the exercise, is, the exercise was to put the point over. And I think what's good is that you've seized on the one thing that the, the film was sold on, you know, despite the fact they didn't quite get it and they didn't quite... Well, the bizarre thing is, 50 years on, as somebody who covers the issue of bisexuality on a regular basis, we have moved on. There is lesbian, gay, trans, um, all sorts of different things out there. But actually, bisexuality tends still to be run away from by the media. Even in soaps and things, you'll find you'll get a bisexual character. Within a short period of time, they'll either be made gay or straight or written out quickly. 
people still, they, they, the media still has a problem with exploring the issue of bisexuality. So actually the film that you were in 50 years ago is one of the few that is still out there that's, that exists. There might be things like My Private Idaho, possibly things like that. But generally there have been very few films ever that have really tackled the issue of bisexuality, um, which is a shame, you know, 50 years old. because he wanted to keep me in the background, I come over incredibly cold. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that thing of deciding to go to America, running away, it is a male trait, the capacity for running away, not dealing with it. So it was, it was yes, it was exposed, but it was half-hearted in its exposition. And I, and in, in a way, it gives a wrong impression of yes. bisexuality, sadly. Exactly. Yeah. The only thing that's real about it is that it's in a way balanced and... You could say the boy hadn't found himself yet and still didn't know what he was doing, you know, that he's attracted to these paternal uh, yeah. people, you know, rather than, 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 than something. What was um, the age difference supposed to be between the two, between the different parties? Well, I, I mean, I, I thought I was too young for it. But then, you know, he's looking for that thing where he said, you know, when I said, what are these people having? He said, sex, dear. And that was it. <laughs> you know, um, I, it didn't help the career at all. Didn't help your career? No. Nah. Really? really? And that's what John Hurt was alluding to. That's why he called it the kiss of death. Uh, and... To a certain extent, I, I, I believe him. It, 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 I went for another role shortly after it, which I loved, which is a thing, an H.E. Bates thing with um, Oliver Reed and uh, Glenda Jackson. Uh, and they wouldn't have me because Glenda was in it and they couldn't put us together again. Um, and after that, I had really bad scripts of people who really didn't understand. And you, you thought, oh, actually, I don't want to be part of this. This is, this is selling the wrong thing. And it's just, they haven't, they haven't come to terms with it. Absolutely wonderful to talk to you. I, I think we can both agree on Sunday Bloody Sunday that actually looking back at it, it was really a missed opportunity, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Certainly from the aspect that you're looking for. Um, it kind of took for granted the audience going, oh, all oh, right, okay, you know, without any, and in order to try and keep me in the background as much as he did. Because don't forget, we get a lot of colour in the lives of, of, of uh, Glenda and her struggles with middle age and, and all that. A lot about... Uh, Daniel, um, Daniel's problems with his, his Jewish family wanting him to marry and, and, and the bar mitzvah and sections of John's life and all that, which John would remember. I mean, we don't see anything about John's youth uh, and what he grew up in. You get an idea that it's, it's claustrophobic from the sort of the Jewish background. But, but um as far as the boys concerned, he don't, I mean, I was playing the, the, the charade scene in a way that like, what am I doing here with all these old people and, you know, and 
I didn't have anybody young to be with, you know, there was never any pals. And so there's something radically missing about the expression, uh, the, the, the story of this boy and why he's there. And really what you're saying is in a way we should have been more interested in why he decided to be with those two people and how they, they, how they, they made so much, it, it was so important to his life as opposed to him going along with their lives and, 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 and responding to them and what they wanted to do. What, what, what's so sad is I, I can understand a lot of that because it is 50 years ago, it was a different time. People were, you know, it was difficult, people understanding homosexuality and then having to try and understand bisexuality. But what is so sad about it is on the bisexual side, we, we've, we have on the gay side, on the bisexual side, we've hardly moved on at all really. You know, actually, actually the, the, the film that you made in 1971 is still one of the very few that actually tackles bisexuality in any way, shape or form. And yet, when I say I play a bisexual, nobody ever questions that for a second. No, no. They take that for granted because what's happened is it's got included into the, 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 the social psyche and we understand that some people could, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like both sexes. Murray Head there speaking to me about his role in Sunday Bloody Sunday. Now, uh, as you heard there, both uh, Murray and I have reservations about the film, but it still holds up as a groundbreaking movie, as just said there. Um, and especially when it comes to bisexuality. In a moment, we're going to be finding out what uh, Nikki and Lewis uh, thought of the film. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. So then Bisexual Brunch uh, continues. And you heard there, guys, um, what Murray Head thought about the... Uh, pivotal role he played in uh, that movie, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Uh, big bisexual movie of its day, probably big bisexual movie, probably the biggest bisexual movie of the last 50 years, which is ridiculous, really, when you think about it. <laughs> we, 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 we had nothing really that uh, you know stands up to it since then. Um, now, both of you have watched the film, and I think you've watched it uh, a few times in the past, uh, um, um, Nikki. I know, Lewis, it was the very first time for you. Um, what did you make of it, Nikki? So I think the thing that struck me about the film was that Murray's character was almost there to highlight the other two characters, Glenda Jackson and Peter Finch's struggles. And so I know that that, was, that is a creative way of exploring how they reacted to him, but yeah, I completely understand why he feels that there wasn't enough of a backstory for his character and there wasn't enough psychological depth to his character because he was a kind of pawn almost, wasn't he, between them in the film. And they could have done a lot more with that, thinking about, well, who did he have a bond with and was the connection different and why did he bond with both of them, etc. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with that. I mean, it was it was titillating, wasn't it? Let's face it, that's what it was, really. It was a, it was a typical 1970s titillation film, in a way. Um, done very well and done very beautifully in its own way. And, uh, you know, and uh, good, you know, good acting and all the rest of it. But it didn't really take us much further in terms of understanding what bisexuality was. But then again, at the same time, I suppose, 1971, you know, homosexuality had only just been decriminalised. So the big thing about it really was seeing a gay kiss. I think it was the first time there'd been there'd been any kind of gay kiss. So in that sense it was it was groundbreaking and was 
you know, was helping to sort of, um, in the terms of the acceptance of homosexuality. So in that sense, I think it was probably a, a good film. Um, but yeah, there's not, not a massive amount of, of depth in it in terms of, uh, you know, exploring his his character or even in a way, in a way their characters in terms of they seem to, I don't know, they, they seem to be just be accepting what was happening without any kind of, there was no, I don't know, there was no sort of, there was no conflict, was there really? In a way, it wasn't anything that came through. I didn't think in terms of no, it was a bit sort of laissez-faire. But it, it, I don't know. I suppose it, it probably did capture the zeitgeist. I think it did capture a mood in the seventies around sexual liberty. Yes, and people just becoming oh yeah, well I might just have sex with that person. That kind of feeling did come through very well, and in some ways it felt quite anachronistic. But I don't know. I think. It's difficult, having not lived through that era, to imagine was it a good enough representation of that time, obviously. Yeah. I'd say that as a younger person. Yeah. But I do think the, the quality of the film, the drama, and the sparseness of the uh, dialogue is actually extremely effective. Yes. Yes, no, d- definitely. And I think Murray played it very well. Um, Good-looking guy. You know, he's, he's sort of, I'm sure that brought a few people in. Lewis, what, what do you make of it? I thought it was really good. I was, I was genuinely shocked, like, culturally. Like, I'd always been told that it was a bisexual film and you should watch it. And to be honest, it was total prejudice that I didn't. I was like, oh, something from the 70s, though. Ugh, oh. Um, <laughs> there's, like, a whole a cut-off period, I think, which goes from, like, I quite like a good old-fashioned film noir, like the old the old-fashioned ones. But then so, from sort of then to the, kind of, like, the 80s, just nothing. I'm so... Why would they even bother making anything then? Um, really enjoyed it. And I've got to be honest, I, I, I kind of, I couldn't believe that that was allowed to not only air in 1971, but was then what? Put forward for Oscars and BAFTAs? Yeah, yeah. Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> it kind of, like, it honestly feels like 1971, I might have been more accepted. Um, obviously, I joke in jest. I thought it was, I, I, I thought the story it told, I thought it was very real as well. I was like, yeah, I can definitely see that happening. Um, you know what I mean? I, I thought it was real. I thought it was, it wasn't the way we see bisexuals done now. Like, oh, well, they they hinted they were bisexual in episode seven. And, so we, and we never heard anything about it again. Um, I, I thought it was really good. And I, I genuinely... I'm shocked that there was that level of bisexuality portrayed in 1971. Stray observations, if I can go into it. The dog dying, I thought was, like, that was really cutting edge to show the animal being killed. You never show the animals being killed. The child that was allowed to smoke weed on the bed, I was like, what on earth is going on? Yeah, I thought that was good. What was the other one? Oh, and I thought it was really funny, the parallels with, like, the, the subplot was this whole cost of living crisis. As we enter the next one, as I was watching it, I was like, what the hell? Like, literally nothing has changed, has it? Bisexual acceptance is still in the power, but still the cost of living crisis. What the hell? The interesting thing is, of course, at the time, it was perceived not as a bisexual film at all. It was perceived as as, as a film that was exploring homosexuality. It was that that was the main thing. The fact that the that he was having a, an affair with both a man and a woman was not really focused on at all. It was the gay side of things that was focused on, which again we suffer with today. You know, anything that's bisexual ends up getting labelled 
gay or whatever, doesn't it? Whatever it may be, kind of thing. Um, he did win win awards. It won um, BAFTA for best film, best director. John Slashinger won best director, and for the performances of um, of, of of Peter Finch and uh, uh, Glenda Jackson as well, they won they won awards. If you looked closely, sadly she's died today. June Brown was also in that film, um, and June Brown, of course, played uh, Dot Cotton in EastEnders for many years. I worked with her um, recently, and I think she. Um, just worth mentioning. I think she did a, did wonders actually for the acceptance of of homosexuality back in the nineteen eighties because she was in EastEnders when they had their first gay characters and the first gay kiss and all the rest of it, and she was a a cleaner um, to the gay couple. And she started off being very homophobic as a character. The Dot Cotton was a very homophobic character, but over time she got to know the, this gay couple and. She started to accept them and became their best friends kind of thing, which is fantastic. And I think looking back now, I remember my mum watching that and other people watching that, and it, it, it really helping people to understand what homosexuality was. So, you know, sadly, we've, we've lost June today at the age of age of 95. I find it amazing that she was never made a dame. I think she became an MB and an OB, but never got never got a damehood. But, um, but yeah, so that's interesting. So on the film side of things, there hasn't been many bisexual films. Basic Instinct, then, which was mainly focused on the on 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 the female side of things. It was it was quite. People did feel it feel it was quite shocking at the time. Do you remember Basic Instinct coming out, Nikki? No, I don't actually. I was a bit young. Well, I mean, I, I hope I don't remember actually because that really would have been slightly inappropriate. <laughs> I mean, I know I know what the film is. Obviously, nineteen ninety two. It came out. Yeah, I was. I would have only been about nine, so it wasn't really. It wasn't. I was really... six months old. With Sharon yeah, Stone. Exactly. Sharon Stone was in it, of course, wasn't she? But of course, I know what the film is. There are scenes from it that are iconic. I mean, it, you would have remembered more the time when it came out. Ash, was it talked about as being a bi film? No, again, it was talked about being about lesbianism. It was about being a lesbian film. It's nothing to do right. with bisexuality at all. And that's that's the that's what's so annoying about it, isn't it? Really, I mean, there have been films, you know, Cabaret, you know, looked at bisexuality in 1972 with Liza Minnelli. Uh, there was one I was looking at on the BFI website, which I'm going to get um, a copy of at some point, uh, starring Terence Stamp, which seems fascinating to me. It's about uh, it's a story in which he seduces an entire family, a repressed wealthy family, <coughs> as their world shaken up by a visitation from a beautiful stranger. Uh, following passionate exchanges with all of them, they're devastated when he suddenly leaves the narrative halfway through the film, uh, changing their behaviour in dramatic ways. One becomes a nymphomaniac, <laughs> one becomes a saint, uh, while the shy son becomes an abstract artist. Sounds a fascinating film. So I'd love to watch that. Apparently, it's it's, um, it, it's it's set in Italy, and it's you know it's about it jolts the Italian classes. But Terence Stamp, who is uh, who starred in it, is still alive, still in his eighties. It'd be quite nice to maybe get an interview with him. So there have been a few bisexual films going back. There's one from 1928 listed here called Sex in Chains. And oh. it's about um, basically uh, guys ending up getting off with each other in, in prison, basically, which, of course, has often been talked about, isn't it? How when men are left on their own together in situations or forced together, they sometimes end up having sex together. And maybe that shows a... A blatant, um, you know, latent bisexuality or whatever. So, and you know. women too. Oh, yeah. This is what we should do an episode or an interview with someone. If there's anybody that's been by in prison, can yes. they tell us about that? Because I would love to find out about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I was growing up, of course, talking about TV programs and films, 
when I was growing up, the, the, one of the most popular TV programs on TV was, was, of course, Prison Cell Block H, which, which you know, my mum and all her friends who were all straight, they just thought about it. They just thought, they, literally, the, the, the narrative, oh, it's all lesbians. You know, they loved, the, loved it, but that's the, that was the thought, that it was all women, basically. And, of course, there was bad girls as well, wasn't there, more recent bad girls. times and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it is, it is a fascinating, fascinating um, area. Um, but I think we should start to watch a few more bisexual films because um, they obviously do exist, but they're not shouted about much, are they? And it's quite interesting to, to, to watch those portrayals. And I'm, I'm quite heartened by the fact that you, Lewis, actually really enjoyed it because I, I did think, actually, that you wouldn't do because I thought to myself, it's a 70s film. It's very, it, you know, in some respects, it's quite, it could be perceived as quite dated, but it's quite raw as well, isn't it? There's a rawness about it and a reality about it, which I think really, really works, yeah. you know. Um, and actually, a lot of the films in the 70s were quite sort of, they mm. weren't bothered about upsetting people about sex, sex, sex and sexuality in the 70s. Bizarrely, because you think back, you think, oh, they must have been years back. But actually, that was a period when liberation became quite a big thing and people just got on with it and they portrayed sex as it was and whatever. And in a way, I suppose... What we've just been talking about, Mary Whitehouse, is where the backlash came from because suddenly on TV and film there was these images of people basically having sex and enjoying themselves and and being liberated and doing what the hell they wanted to do, and that's where the backlash came from. And now any kind of misdemeanor or horrible thing that's happened since then is now being blamed on that period. You know what I mean? That we we suddenly mm. we suddenly became we came too liberal too quickly. Is is the is the, is the attitude, isn't it, really, in a way? Nikki? I can't wait to find out more about this horrible woman. <laughs> You're going to love this show because I think it's just so good about how she... Well, I won't... I'm actually, you know what? I'm not going to give you any more spoilers. Just watch it. You will actually really enjoy it. And it, it's, it's a two-parter, isn't it? It's, it's not, two-parter. It's, it's, it's on the BBC. BBC? You can look it, yeah, look iPlayer. It, you can look it up on the BBC iPlayer, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So Bisexual Brunch continues, and a little bit later on we've got our Ask a Bisexual feature, which is a rather interesting one uh, this time around. Um, Stay tuned for that. But for now, it's our Bisexual Journey story, and it's another story from the United States. We're hearing from Hayley Marcus from Kalamazoo in Michigan. are you i'm 23 23 and and how do you identify in terms of pronouns and things um she her fantastic well we've cleared that bit up (laughs) well obviously we want to talk to you about bisexuality as a whole um and to talk about your journey as a whole but uh, why don't we just start off with this question really which is do you think you've always known that you are bisexual um i think so i mean i started to, like, have this, these certain feelings, like, for women, like, in the, when I was in, like, the sixth grade, so I got, like, 13. So, but I think I kind of, deep down, always knew. That you were bisexual? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did that pan out, then, when you started to have uh, relationships? My first relationship was with a man. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't too um out yet, and, like, I wasn't. I still wasn't sure at the time about about my, my bisexuality. Like I, I kind of had those cues, but like I wasn't like totally uh, sure if, if if it was like real or just like a phase or you know. And what was your school like? You know, were they quite open? Was it somewhere uh, that you could be yourself or what? I mean, 
it was a pretty open school, I think. I know a lot of people that um were gay and like I had a bunch of friends like I had for some friends that 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 were gay or in or bisexual and you know they were they felt pretty safe. So when you were 15 or 16 if you suddenly turned up and said to somebody I'm actually bisexual I think I'm bisexual it wouldn't have been a massive revelation. Cuz I remember I came out last year actually. Um, and I, t- and the first person I told was my mother and she was like, I already knew that. And I'm like, oh, well that made it so much easier for me, but. Fantastic. I mean, that's really nice in that way, isn't it? But I suppose the regret in a way is that you, I don't know, you, you still have to have that process of, of coming out, don't you? Yes. It'd be great not to have to do any of that in a way, wouldn't it really? Right. Exactly. And I feel like I'm glad that she told me that she already knew but also it it was almost like a sense of having that being taken kind of like of me not being able to like say it myself when like she already knew if that makes any sense yeah no no it does make sense it does make sense so when you were younger then, and even now I suppose, you know, when people were to say they were bisexual or they heard of somebody who was bisexual, how was it perceived by people? How would they sort of um, caricature it in the, in the area that you came from? Um, I know of a lot of people actually that would probably characterize it as like either like a phase or like something to fantasize about like the or yeah or so, something for the, for like men to like use as like a fantasy yeah and I, I suppose that's the big the big thing for women hasn't it over many many years uh, who are bisexual you know this this perception that you know is accepted for certain people um probably more so than than male bisexuality but um it, it's sort of um shaped in this male viewpoint of it isn't it really you know it's, it's something for for men to get excited about mm-hmm. and and how does that make you feel and was that something that you needed to get over in terms of accepting it for yourself i mean it really does kind of irritate me a little bit cuz it's just you know i'm trying to you know come to terms with my bisexuality and like kind of explore it more but then it's like i have these men over here trying to like make it seem like some sort of like thing that's like hot or like and has that affected you when it's come to dating uh women you know is your sexuality being seen seriously are people you know or is that background of the way people perceive it a barrier in a way i mean not really it hasn't really that that part hasn't been an issue women are much more understanding i feel like than men and what about when it comes to dating a man you know is this perception of what bisexuality is really its head i mean yeah it has come to a little bit of an issue because you know it's like i'm not i'm not there for that i'm i'm there to to acknowledge who i am as a bisexual and and to like and for men to treat it as something different that's what I'm not here for. Okay, so what kind of guys and girls have you been out with so far? What's characterized their, uh, you know, their temperament, their personality, their, you know, their looks, whatever? What, what's 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 been the essential ingredient? 
Well, I haven't really actually been on that many dates with either sex, so I, I wouldn't know. Early days. I mean, personally for me, I feel if the, that person's like good-hearted and like just good to me in, in general, like I don't care about looks. And I'm just there for the person, not for, like, the looks. Because, of course, the interesting thing about being bisexual, I suppose pansexual people say this as well, is that the interesting thing about being bisexual is the fact that we see something more than just the physical uh, at the at the beginning. I'm sure other people do to an extent as well, but definitely bisexual people do tend not to see the physical in the same way that maybe straight people or gay people do. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. So you're 23. Do you know anybody else who's bisexual you can talk to on a regular basis? Um, actually, yes. I did. I started a group, um, like, like right after I came out. Um, it, it, it's a support group. Um, yeah. actually, you talked to Bridget actually, and she's part, oh, and yeah. she's and she's yeah. one of the members of the group. So yes. I've been, I talked to her a lot, and yeah. and a couple of the group. Of the of the of the people people in the group, and it's nice because I've made like a sort of community of of, yeah. of my own, and it's nice to have people that understand what you're going through and are going through the exact same thing with like their their own bisexuality. But you know, bisexual groups are quite rare, aren't they? In a way, because you know, um, it's very difficult to get the people together to find out who they are in the first place. But uh, then the people who might come along might not want to come along because they might not want people to know that bisexuals you've got all that uh situation so uh, apart from bridget uh, who, who we've obviously spoken to you know bridget's a bit older than you isn't she but what 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 generally are people the kind of people's experiences what kind of things um have they said you know about the, the, their journey you know is it a mixture of people from different backgrounds yeah yes actually yes it's a, it's a mixture um, we get some men, but um, it's it's mostly w- women. And what would you say are the similarities in their experiences then? I mean, some of the peop of the people that join, um, have also had just come out like last year or this year, and like you know, they're also trying to f- to to, f- to figure it all out and and it. I think that's what is so nice about it is like you know, I'm go go going through exactly that too, as like in terms of still trying to figure it all out, and it's nice to have someone to go through that with me, so we can actually just go through it together and and so I won't so we don't feel so alone. Yeah, of course, absolutely, and of course the the interesting thing for. Well, the issue for people like Bridget and others who are older is that they've never had any of that. Um, you know, never had any of that at your age. So you're quite lucky to be able to connect with people in that group. So what are the main issues then for somebody of, say, 22, 23, 24, who may be starting to come out as bisexual uh, in a climate where things are improving in a way? You know, people are encouraged to be open about their sexuality to an extent but there are still issues aren't there around bisexuality it's still not as accepted by everybody as maybe some of the other um sexual identities are what what what, you know what are the things what the challenges that these people of your age are trying to to navigate do you think i mean i I think they're just trying to figure out like 
where do I fit in into like this this world of like cis men and women and like you know and like these gays and like like where do I fit in 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 all this yeah we just want to find our own place to like belong yeah of course because you can't be open not completely anyway can you really in a straight or gay um, marriage right and we know of course there are a lot are a lot of gay people who are open about sexuality and don't have a problem with bisexuality but there are a number who are still very anti-bi aren't they and I think particularly with me, like, you know, I'm handicapped, so I'm trying to also na- navigate that, but also, but also trying to, to juggle, um, trying to juggle my bisexuality and trying to figure that out while I'm also trying to figure out the handicap. And it's like... Yeah, yeah, it's complex. It's complex, isn't it, really? Absolutely. Very complex. Yeah, I mean, do you think the average person is starting now to understand what bisexuality is? I mean, I know we've got a lot of myths to to bust down, but um, you know, do you think generally people are starting to understand it? Are we at the beginning of that stage? You know, I mean, what's it like where you lived? Do you think you're seeing a change? You know, if you were to walk out in the street today and say to somebody, you know, what's bisexuality? Do you think they'd be could answer you? Do you think they understand it? I mean. I th- I do think most people would, most people. But I do think, like like you said, we we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go, but but before everybody understands it. So how do things split for you in terms of how your relations are with men and women? You, you know, do you feel? I know you said that you know personality matters most, but you know, do you find that you feel more of an affinity with? with men than women, you know, we often talk about 50-50, 60-40, whatever, when it comes to bisexuality. Do you, do you feel any of that at all? Um, I do think it is more emotional, yes. Yeah, I think it... Because, like I've mentioned before, I'm not into, like, the the physical attachment. And so it's like, I think... So, so yeah, I think, yes, it is more of a... Um emotional attachment no and i understand that but you know in your early encounters with men and women and probably possibly non-binary people as well have you noticed it being easier to develop relationships you know with one gender or another it doesn't really no it doesn't really matter i mean i haven't really had that experience so i wouldn't i wouldn't really know so what is it about being bi that is so important to you you know letting people know that because people often criticise us, don't they, for wanting to talk about our sexuality. You know, people say, why do you need to shout about your sexuality? What's the reason for that? What's the need for that? We don't shout about our sexuality. Why do you think it's important that people know and that we're having conversations like we're having now? I think it's important because bisexuality bisex- does exist. And so a lot of the time people r- kind of r- rush it off. And I don't. And I want to be able to kind of raise us up a little bit so then, like, we have a platform and, like, that, and we have a place to to speak up. And how big a thing is the bi side to you? How big a thing is it in your identity? What What does being bisexual really mean to you? It's become one of the most important things that I've done that... Coming out was like the hardest thing I've done, and like, and and finally embracing who I am as a bisexual 
again, was like the hardest thing I've ever done. And to, to finally embrace it, it feels, it feels nice. It feels really good. You know, when you had the conversation with your mum and she said, oh, I already know, knew, did you go a bit deeper and did, you know, did she ask any more questions? Not particularly, no. We just kind of left it at that. We do kind of have these conversations every once in a while. So it's, it, it's, it's not like a one and done kind of thing. We do have frequent conversations sometimes. And what about people in your family? Did you come up to your dad or siblings or anybody else? Um, I think before my mother, I came out to my sister. And again, she already knew, of course. Um, which I just think is so funny. It's like, do I present in a certain way? Or... <laughs> you want them to react. You want to be able to confront them. But, um, you know, you want it to be a moment, don't you? I know, and that's exactly what my mother actually said. She she, she was like, I mean, I just didn't want to take, I, I didn't want to take it away from you. I didn't want like to just blurt it out like I that I know that that you're by. I wanted you to be able to be comfortable enough to tell me yourself. And is anybody else, you know, as you've told other people that that you're bisexual, has anybody else come out to you as bisexual? Um, not particularly. I mean, I came out to a couple of my friends too, but. No one that uh, has also come out to me. You know, did they have interesting questions to ask you? You know, were they curious? You know, did they say, well, what does that mean or, or whatever? Funny enough, no, actually. They were just like, okay. <laughs> they, they're like, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm happy for you, but okay, cool. <laughs> but, you know, we do want people to talk about this, don't we? Because what tends to happen for a lot of people is they end up in a... Uh, you know, a long-term, maybe monogamous relationship, and they're defined by who they're with, aren't they? So we do want people to be able to talk early on about the bisexuality and people to realise that it's there, don't we? And that it continues throughout those relationships. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's important for people to be able to understand that your identity doesn't change. Exactly, yes, exactly. Um, Like we've talked about before, I think... Um. We're getting there with like p- people understanding. We're getting there. It's just it needs to. We need to have more conversations, and we need to. We need a lot more people to be like, be comfortable and express who they are. So then, like, we can have those conversations. Now you've got this group that you run, and uh, we'll, 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 towards the, the end of this interview, we'll let you talk about that, and, and, and so people can get in touch, etc. But you know, um, what would be perfect for a lot of people who are bisexual is to actually meet other bisexuals, rather than having to meet uh, you know straight or gay people. Actually, to meet somebody who is, is bisexual, so they don't have to navigate all these things and explain everything. You know, um, are there people who've met each other through the group who happen to be? Um, you know, have couples come from, you know, been established from the group? Actually, no, I'm not certain, actually, which is weird because, like, I'm the leader of this group, so I should know these things, but I just don't. Maybe they're keeping it quiet. They're keeping it quiet. <laughs> I think we've done one interview so far, which was a, a couple who both realised eventually they were both bisexual. So that was that was, that was interesting. Now, you said there were not many men in your group. Mm-hmm. The guys who are in the group, you know, are they older, younger? They're older. Yes, they're older. older. Yep. Yeah. Um, because it often is the case with bisexual men that they do come out much later, isn't it? Yes, yes. It remains hidden much longer, really. Probably because there are prejudices around male role models and things. Mm-hmm. I suppose it might be a bit easier for women to communicate it, in a way. So, um, Hayley, what's the group called that you run? 
It's called Kalamazoo by Pride or by P- Plus Pride. Kalamazoo, uh, as in the song, you know, wasn't it Glenn Miller that did a record? This is a Brit with not a massive amount of knowledge about America, just remembering something from the deep, uh, <laughs> deep within the recesses of my, uh, my, my my brain from my younger years. So, how many people in the group so far? Forty-one. Do you have social groups and things, you know, or do people get together and they talk? You talk about issues, or how does it work? Well, I mean, we have dinner like every two, like every two weeks. And does everyone tend to turn up, or or what? I mean. Right now, it's just like us uh, four girls, me, Br- Bridget, and like two other girls. So, not very many people show up, but we still have a lot of fun. But now, of course, you do things, a lot of things through social media and stuff, I presume. Yeah. I suppose it's quite difficult for some people because there will be people in the closet who don't actually want to be seen out at all. Yeah. Yeah. Because aren't you in quite a conservative part of the United States where you are? Yeah. Hmm. So you meet with these girls and have something to eat, whatever, every every now, you know, every now and again. Um, and we heard from Bridget, of course, and she was there with her purple hair <laughs> when I spoke to her. Um, do you think there is starting to be uh, some kind of bisexual identity, you know, in terms of clothes and what people wear and all those kind of things? You know, I know all that's a bit of fun, but you know what I mean is, you know, do you think we need to do more of that? You know, do we need to put a stamp on it and let people know who we are and, and give ourselves some kind of uh, defined, you know, definition? I think so. I mean, how else are we going to, you know, make it known and make it known that, that we're here and that we matter and that we're not going anywhere and we're still by? So what do you think we should do then? You know, Lewis has often talked about, in fact, he has done it, actually. He goes around the UK putting stickers on walls and things saying a bisexual was here. Um, what do you think? I mean, that's actually not a bad idea, actually. Those stickers sound like a great idea. I mean, for me, you know, there's a hair. Like, I I also dyed my hair, but it's, like, not existent right now because it's washed all out, which is sad for this interview, but oh well. (laughs) Um, but, you know, just, just do whatever you want to do with 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 you yourself just do whatever you want to do to to make it known a- anything is like anything's great well Haley, it's been lovely to talk to you um you know you've come out to your family you know your sister knows your parents know you know you're running a group etc it's obviously really important to you you know what is do you think the best thing about being bisexual the community Point blank, the community. Yep, just meeting people, you know, that are that share the same interests as you. And I suppose learning a bit more about you know bisexuality generally, you know, about learning about bisexuality generally, you know, the history and and what's been there before, you know, because a lot of us don't, a lot of us don't really know a lot of uh, a lot of us don't really know a great deal about it, do we really? You know, only from having groups like yours and bisexual brunch as a podcast, etc. We're only going to find out things by connecting, aren't we? Right, and that's what my therapist, because I'm in therapy too, and that's what my therapist said. She she was like, this bisexual, this bisexuality is just like a ongoing journey. It never stops. You always yeah. learn new things, and that's what I love about it. So, just one final thing. We talked about this last time on the show. Um, and we're going to continue talking about it, I suppose, as well. What's your view on uh, pansexuality then, and bi- versus bisexuality? You know, wh- wh- where do you 
where do you see it? I've always kind of fit, kind of thought I was for a while because I was talking to my therapist and she was like, well, if it doesn't really matter if it's a guy or a girl or whatever, then you're pansex that sounds like you're pansexual more than bisexual it's on the bisexual umbrella all that's on, on the umbrella yeah no absolutely i think that uh bi and pan should uh, definitely mix together and work together uh for the greater good but we're not going to change the name to pansexual brunch because bisexual brunch goes together yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but it's definitely bisexual brunch welcoming the entire pan world but tell us, um, th- yeah, this is the final question, Haley. Thank you for joining us. But thank you. you tell us how they can get people can get in touch with your group. Okay, um, it's called Kalamazoo by, by Plus Pride, and that's plus like the actual plus sign, Pride. And you can reach us on Facebook, um, at at Kalamazoo by Plus Pride. And especially to people who probably it sounds really bad, this don't know how to spell Kalamazoo. Okay. K-A-L-A-M-A-Z-O-O. Fantastic. Good stuff. Well, hopefully you might get some people contacting you. And I suppose people who are just travelling to the area, they can call on you as well. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Ailey. That's really nice. Thank you for joining us on Bisexual Brunch. And now it's time to ask a bisexual. Okay, so our question this time is from Mark, who um, you can contact online on Twitter at not defining and mark we've interviewed actually on uh, bisexual brunch uh, about his uh, bisexuality he runs a um a podcast called uh, queer spectrum podcast which is all about people who don't define themselves in a particular way uh, both in terms of um uh, sexuality and gender it's worth uh, very well worth a listen anyway mark's been in touch and um he writes i'm so fascinated by how people view gender and sex differently or not how people feel towards different bodies and where masculinity and femininity fall within that as well. So here's my question. What is the difference in feel being with a male or a female? For example, you're a bi-male topping a guy. What is the difference to being the traditional top with a female? For bi-women, how does dominant female intimacy feel different to being with a guy? So I suppose what he's asking is, is there a difference in... Um, screwing a guy and screwing a woman—is that basically the, 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 the it's in a nutshell? What what do you, what 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 would you say, uh, Lewis? Oh, well, it's such an odd one, um, and I feel like it's such an odd one to discuss because sex with anyone is different. So trying to cast, um, uh, you know a generalization on what sex of a man is like and what sex of a woman is like, you know, people would be furious with. I don't really know. I would say maybe something that's coming to mind is sex with women. I feel like the man sometimes has to lead, which obviously if Nick, like Nikki would be like, what do you mean? The man doesn't lead. <laughs> like, you, obviously. But I think, you know, eight times out of 10, maybe the man takes a bit more of the lead um maybe whereas i think i've always found with with two men having sex with 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 another guy maybe it just feels like there's more equalness in it it's like you know it doesn't feel like anyone's being taken advantage of and it doesn't feel like as me leading i'm like you know saying i have no respect for you all of that politics is gone 
I think maybe with sex with a guy, there's less guesswork because, you know, I have a penis. Like, I know what feels good, maybe, is it would be the logic, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I'm trying to explore something that I haven't really thought about, but also there's no right or wrong answer because it all really probably depends on the person. Does that make sense? It's a very hard question to answer. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Is there something, though, in the whole thing of... I mean, I have been uh, top and bottom, completely uh, <laughs> open and about it here, and there are certain men that I would be top with and there's certain men that I would probably be bottom with. Do you understand where I'm coming oh, from? Oh, yeah. There's a, different, there's a difference, isn't there, between different people? Yeah. And there is something... I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? Because with obviously with man and woman, it's it's different. Although Nikki would obviously say that women can dominate, and of course they can. But there are certain men that you want to shag, <laughs> and there are certain men that you want them to shag you. Do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that that's an and that is it's it, and it's 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 psychological, isn't it? Really, don't you think? Oh, it totally is. There was this one guy who would always talk to me. When we when we met, and I once talked about, well, maybe I should top you, and he literally turned to me and was like, "That would totally ruin our dynamic," and he was right. Um, so yeah, it is very interesting with the different roles you can play and the different power dynamics that those probably create. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's just an interesting observation. I don't think there's so much an answer to the question. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I, I, you know, and just talking about, you know, you're saying, what does it feel? You know, the practicalities of this, we often come back to this, don't we? That you know, the, the sad thing about sex generally, well, not a sad thing, it's just reality, isn't it? You know, sex, you you do to some extent have to prepare for certain types of sex, don't you? And if it, oh, and if it's God, in the yeah, moment, the if it's in the moment and it happens, it's brilliant. Sometimes it can be perfect, can't it? Other times. There's no way. It's, that's it. The, the moment's destroyed, isn't it? So it's all about mm. getting the right, the right circumstance, and you know, the right person, and the, you know, lots of little things that just add up to making it the perfect moment, or sometimes a complete disaster. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know what I mean. So, um, so that that's interesting. And then somebody off the back of that, because um, this question came to us through Twitter, said just a bit of a reflection here, and we'll come to you, Nikki, in a second and get your reaction to these things. But um, somebody else came back to us and said, having been with a woman in my very early 20s before coming out uh, gay not long long after, uh, the emotional and physical intimacy was clearly different. Uh, This guy, who's also called Mark, says, the pure, sometimes gruff contact between two male psyches and bodies, head to toe, front to back, top to bottom, was, and still is, as far as he's concerned, sublime. So there you go. So, you know, th- and there is a difference definitely between obviously having sex with a, a, a man and a woman, but I don't think we can categorise them and, and, and say this is definitely how it works with... Because everyone, as we said before, everyone, everyone's completely different. What about the, you and Nikki? What do you, what do you make of all that? Well, you know, what's, um, you know, Mark said, uh, for bi women, how does dominant female intimacy feel different to being with a guy? What do you say to that? Ooh, this is a really interesting question. Hmm, what do I think about the dynamics of being a top or a bottom or the gendered dynamics of being a man or a woman when you're with someone in a bi context? Well, I think it just really depends on personality for me. So it's more about dominant 
and submissive energies or switchy energies as you call it in kink and I think I think I've talked about this before but when I was first dating women I acted like a guy and actually a jerk at that not a very nice guy that you'd want to date and as I got more confident I became more understanding and more sensitive and the dynamic became more interesting between us so I think it's got quite a lot to do with your personal experiences how you see gender dynamics how you see power dynamics but also your maturity and your experience ready to ask a question of your own send an email now to info at madeinmanchester.tv and in the subject line say for the attention of bisexual brunch and you might get featured on a future show. Don't be shy, they won't bite. Okay, well that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. So then, Lewis, you've got wine in hand there. You're very relaxed. Um, we started uh, off. You started off in your bedroom tonight. You were very relaxed. I thought because we were talking about porn, you were setting up some kind of um, some kind of show for <laughs> us. Actually, that's what I thought. But you're now back in the living room. Oh well, you need a glass of wine sometimes. Maisie is clearly sick. She's been vomiting all over the house. The reason I had to move the recording is because she's vomited in every room. Oh. So I'm down to like the last room she hasn't vomited in. And this is just my life now. No sexy orgies to go off to after this show. <laughs> I have got to clean the living room. I've got some sick to clean up. We've got to get the bed sheets dry that she was sick over. Just just my domestic life now, raising all these children. <laughs> That's what it is. It's not sexual. It's not glamorous. There's no strangers coming over to blindfold me and, you know, chain me to a wall. Those days are all gone now. So I have good sex with my partner, so it's all good. <laughs> That's why we have so many children from everywhere. Well, there you go. Anyway. There you go. You'll, be, you'll have to get the snip soon if you're not careful. <laughs> mm. This programme is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.